0: So many of you know if you've listened to this show for a very long time that I am a fan of The Daily Wire's Andrew Claven. Now, I do not agree with Andrew Claven on all things. I think some of his uh, theological points are uh, questionable to say the least. Uh, we would not agree on uh, all things, but I do think Andrew Claven is uh, searingly insightful on many things. And I happened upon a speech that he gave to the Young Americans Foundation, uh, a group of college kids who man, you talk about swimming uphill. Uh, they are conservatives. And in light of the fact that we've been having this discussion this hour about crime and the call I received yesterday and the email I received today from a, uh don't want to say a counselor who's working with a police department somewhere in the Dayton area. She's a listener on 94.5, I assume, and I appreciate her listening. And I wish she hadn't hung up yesterday when I wouldn't immediately buy into her viewpoint that... Uh, Kids who grow up in tough circumstances don't know that stealing cars is wrong and that their circumstances, uh, in some cases, justify or should keep us from incarcerating them. I didn't agree with her viewpoint on that, and so she hung up. Now, Andrew Clavin traces this back to what I hope historians will record as a tipping point in our country where we decided to go the wrong direction. I know it precipitated a lot of bad decisions here in Columbus, Ohio. I know it has led to a shortage of police in Columbus, in Dayton, and throughout the United States. Andrew Claven talking to the Young Americans Foundation about May of 2020, the George Floyd riots, and what that circumstance wrought in our nation.
1: When the criminal drug addict George Floyd was killed by an act of sloppy policing in the spring of 2020, there was not then, and there is not now, one iota of evidence that racism had anything to do with it. Nonetheless, Maoist anti-American revolutionaries were able to spread that narrative to incite riots that destroyed black neighborhoods and businesses, to scuttle police techniques that had saved thousands of black lives over the last two decades, and to tear down the statues of the men who made this country great. That's not my complaint. There are always sad, smarmy, violent little thugs who tear down what they don't know how to build. But where were the old men? Where was the establishment to say, hey, punks, you who have accomplished nothing will not tear down the statues of men who gave you every good thing that you have? The establishment joined the mob. The journalists covered up their barbarism by calling their violence mostly peaceful. City leaders agreed to remove statues of men like Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt at the behest of men like Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) None of them had the knowledge or the spine to stand up and defend the glorious history of this unique nation that is the political fruition of high European culture, the greatest culture that has ever existed on the face of the earth.
0: That is 100% true, and because... you're looking for the because, why? Why did men not stand up? Because of fear of being branded a racist. It was 100% related to the fact that the charge of racism is the one charge from which all recoil. And I would argue that the very fact that normal sane people who would in other circumstances where racism or a charge of racism was not involved argue vehemently about how deranged it is to tear down a statue of Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, but but withdraw from that conversation for fear of being branded a racist in fact proves how little racism there is in our country because if there is great fear of being branded a racist that tells you how people view racism they view it as an ultimate evil do you think people in the south in the ku klux klan in the 1950s and early 60s cared if they were branded a racist of course not of course not and so they continued to lynch and deny civil rights and the like but the prevailing opinion in the United States of America today is much different. Or the very fear of being labeled a racist is in fact proof that racism does not exist, but racism is an extremely useful tool for those who, as Andrew Clavin said, used it to paint all police as racist. He's not kidding about racism not being a part of George Floyd's death. The prosecutor in that case, Keith Ellison, who is himself a racist, seeing evil in everything that white people do, Keith Ellison, the prosecutor in that case, did not raise racism as a factor at trial when Derek Chauvin was convicted of murdering George Floyd. If any vestige of racism could have been alleged or proven, you can be sure that Keith Ellison would have raised it. Now, That has wrought bad decisions in a lot of places. It wrought bad decisions right here at home. Riots in downtown Columbus related to the George Floyd riots led to what? Our city demonizing police, demonizing police, charging police. Have any been convicted? No. Trial trial was dropped in the case of two officers charged. A third was exonerated. Yet Andrew Ginther, our mayor, Shannon Harden, our city council president, paid almost $6 million to 32 plaintiffs who would not disperse, who would not follow orders. You must have order in America's cities. But you pay for people who allege that they were harmed by police doing their job when you fear being labeled a racist mayor, being labeled a racist city council. The fear of racism led to the demonization of police, which has led to police departing forces, which has led to a shortage of police, which has led to a spike in crime nationally, the likes of which we have not seen in many decades. All from the false narrative that George Floyd was killed by a racist cop because racism is so despicable to a vast majority of Americans that it empowers those evil people who continue to allege racism when racism does not apply. Tom Homan is a former federal prosecutor. He discusses the reason why crime is a major factor in most of America's cities. For 25 years, everybody was told, doesn't matter, crime's going to keep declining. Well, guess what? We took our foot off the gas in every way possible. And now crime is coming back up. That combination of the police being sidelined and prosecutors sidelining themselves is an incendiary combination. Oh, yes, we've left the prosecutors out of this discussion. The uh, prosecutors who would have the mindset of the caller yesterday, the emailer today, that, you know, racism is why these kids commit crimes. And if you want to punish them for their crimes, in the words of the juvenile court judges in Columbus, that's racist. You want to put young black kids in jail for stealing cars, sometimes at gunpoint, that's racist. That you want to hold them accountable for their actions, that's racist. So the fear of the label of racism motivates prosecutors like Chasa Boudin in San Francisco, like Alvin Bragg in New York, like George Gascon in L.A., like Zach Klein and Tom Tyack here, or Gary Tyack here in Columbus, that's why they don't prosecute crimes is because they don't want to be labeled a racist. What was the word Joan used with me? Why I didn't understand the complexity of the problem? Because of my privilege. Because of my privilege. Which is a nice way of saying because I'm a racist. Now here's Trey Gowdy talking about Common sense things. So, what I talk about punishment. That's what works to diminish crime.
1: The overwhelming majority of your fellow citizens are never going to do anything to hurt you. The vast majority do not want to hurt you. They don't want to kill you. They don't want to rob you. So if we can figure out who that 5 to 7% is that, that you're at risk from and then separate them from society, then you're going to have a safe society. But when you have progressive prosecutors that take that 5 and 7% and keep giving them chance after chance after chance, then no, you're going to have a spike in crime, which is exactly what we have.
0: That is exactly what we have. It's very fixable, but you have to be willing to do it in reality. I don't think that racism is a powerful weapon meant to keep people from saying true things punishment of crime is necessary to reduce crime, for instance. Uh, Take a look at a bill that is now uh, hopefully coming before the Ohio General Assembly. It is House Bill 712, uh, introduced by uh, two Republicans, of course, Tim Ginter and Kevin Miller, who would like to add the thin blue line flag to the list of flags that Ohio says landlords, mobile home parks, and HOAs cannot prohibit. You say, you got to be kidding me, right? the thin blue line flag, which is like the flag with the thin blue line on it that is meant as a tribute to law enforcement. We support law enforcement. Why would anybody ban that flag? Well, because some people associate the flag with white supremacy movements. So law and order, advocating for law and order, advocating for first responders is racist. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the bill was up before the House in 2017, and it passed 90 to 2. I bet if it comes up again, it'll get a lot more negative votes than 2 because that is the culture that we live in right now. And what does that rot? The fear of being labeled a racist is the fear of being someone who takes a position that disadvantages another group of people. Does that stop with racism? Or does that extend into other areas? Is it pulled into other areas? Is that fear of discrimination, why we have all sorts of disagreements and agendas about you're going to fire somebody from upper management, um, man, we've got like 10 upper managers who are white and we've got uh, one who's a woman, but the woman doesn't get the job done, but you better fire, you know, the the guy. And they don't have to be white guys. It could be like white guys, black guys, Hispanic guys. But you only got one woman. Got to keep that woman, whether she's doing the job or not, right? The fear of discrimination, the fear of being what well, racist, homophobic, oh, and another, transphobic transphobic any kind of phobic islamophobic any kind of phobia any kind of alleged phobia is rooted in the elimination of discrimination now i'm not sitting here advocating for discrimination but we take admi- discrimination and the and the and the need the desire the lust to ferret out perceived discrimination at all levels it elevates to the very very top of the things that must be accomplished and so competence competence, which would be the reason why I would decide things like who stays and who goes in a job, who's doing the job well, who's not doing the job well, you, you're not doing the job well, you're out. Yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm, uh, Hispanic. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're doing the job well or not. I mean, I, it's just, it's nonsensical that we use our fear of being charged as, labeled as a discriminatory person, we allow it to elevate above everything else. For instance, right now, Haley Davidson is seeking to become a member of the Ladies Professional Golf Association. Haley Davidson, if you look at a picture of Haley Davidson, is definitely not a lady. Haley Davidson is not a woman. Haley Davidson is not a female. Haley Davidson is a man wearing a skort playing ladies' golf. Haley Davidson is much bigger, much stronger than the women who she's... who Haley Davidson is competing against. And I thought the LPGA had a rule that you had to be born a woman to be a ladies' professional golfer, but of course, they suspended that rule nine years ago. And so there's a part of me that says... You get what you allow. So this whole process of our overly active sensitivity to being labeled intolerant, discriminatory, racist, whatever, this whole obsession that we have with it shows up in a bunch of different areas in our culture. And it has made us dumber. It has made us angrier because if you lose your job, not because you're incompetent, but because you're the wrong race or the wrong sex, that tends to make people angry. Because things that are unfair tend to make people uh, very angry. So how long are we going to pursue this? How long are we going to, under the guise of, I don't want anybody to think that I'm discriminatory. I don't want anybody to think I'm racist. I don't want anybody to think I'm hateful. I don't want anybody to think I'm intolerant. I'm just going to go along because, man, stepping out terrifies me. How long are we going to let that go? I guess it depends on what kind of country we want. So I'd like to close today with Andrew Clavin's summation to his speech to the Young Americans Foundation, where he identifies What is possible for us, presuming we are willing to commit to
1: the right things. The greater the things you love in your life, the more joy you will have. Love small things like clothes and video games and money, and you'll have a little joy. Love great things like your family and your friends and the work of your hands, and you will have a lot of joy. And if ever you should learn to love the God who made you, bing, 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 you will hit the jackpot. And even in your inevitable griefs and sorrows, you will know the true joy of living that leads to a greater joy still. The primacy of love, the practice of love, the philosophy of love, the God of love are not things humanity learned in an instant. They were wrenched by human hearts and minds out of the fabric of reality and passed down over slow history by priests and teachers and artists who learned them from the priests and teachers and artists who went before In your unlucky generation, that establishment, those keepers of the flame of Western wisdom have deserted their posts and abandoned their responsibilities and left you to rediscover the central truth for yourselves. From their cowardly surrenders to their idiot theories, from their abuse of drugs to their abuse of politics, the parent class has failed you. But the good news is this the priests and teachers and artists of all the generations past are still right here walking by your sides. For thousands of years, the best of them have been working in the midst of life suffering and evil to write books and compose music and develop religion that are still lying at your feet like a bright trail through this present darkness. It is up to you to do what the old men have not done for you. Read those books listen to that music, practice that religion, follow that trail, it will lead you home to who you really are.
0: It will. But The question is, what is our commitment? Is our commitment to true things? Is our commitment to courage, to suffering whatever consequences for saying true things are out there? Because to avoid those consequences is not to avoid them at all. It is to delay them, but to multiply them, both personally and collectively.